Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to Social Innovation Asia. Today, I'm talking to Allison Sanders. Allison is the Director of Strategy and Partnerships at the Bondek Foundation. Allison, welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to connect with you here. Thank you so much for doing this. I love the background of the airplanes. It lends a real right. sort of great environment. <laughs> There's a lot of those in Chiang Mai. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, I forgot to mention that you're based in Chiang Mai, which is interesting. Do you want to give a little bit more background on who you are and actually how you ended up in Chiang Mai to begin with? Sure, how I ended up in Chiang Mai, of course. Um, so my professional background is actually in academic linguistics. Um, and so I'm from the States originally, but I did my master's in France, um, where I had been living for several years. Um, and this is where I really fell in love with languages um, and then linguistics in particular. And I became very interested in this intersection between language and human rights, um, which is endangered languages um, and the need to document and revitalize the world's dying languages. Um, and so I finished my MA in linguistics in France, and then I did another MA um, at the University of Colorado in Boulder, where I was able to do field linguistics work um, with the Arapaho tribe living up in Wyoming. Um, and so it was through Throughout this period of time that I became so much more interested in, I would say, more and more the human rights piece um, and a bit less and less of um, the purely academic side of linguistics. Um, and so at the end of um, the University of Colorado, um, at the end of that grad program, I actually started looking for research contracts um, in field research for different NGOs throughout the world. Um, and it happened to be a short-term research contract of only six months <laughs> that worked out with the Bondek Foundation. And here I am three years later. <laughs> and um, Bondek, it's been an incredible adventure. Bondek has grown a lot in the past couple of years. Um, and so, of course, I have increasingly worked on our partnerships, um, our research partnerships. Um, and today, this is the area that, that I work in for the foundation. So I'm, I've always been actually very interested in language as well. And I've always thought that kind of language was a window onto culture, right? Because it's the subtlety of culture that comes out not just in the words itself, but in the way the words are used and put together. So I think it's really interesting, actually, the way that that led you to where you are. And is there some kind of coincidence to the fact that you speak French or you studied in France, I presume, and that the Bondec Foundation was also started by a French couple? Do you want to talk about their experience and lead up into the foundation of the foundation? Sure, sure, absolutely. So first of all, that is pure coincidence. Um, but yeah, a wonderful coincidence um, that we've found. Um, but yes, the Bandek Foundation was started um, by a husband and wife about 15 years ago, um, more than 15 years ago in 2002, um, as well as um, a close contact of theirs, um, who is our Thai chairwoman for the foundation today as well. And it's actually our executive director, who is French, um, and her husband, who is Italian, um, and serves as um, our founder on technical support um, when possible. So um, today, uh, Magalie Duperc is our executive director. Um, her background is actually in social work. So this is a very special thing about Bandek, the fact that our executive director is mainly a social worker herself, um, as well as an anthropologist. Um, this this makes it very obvious, I think, from just the pure structure of the foundation that our focus as an NGO is really on qualitative programs. Um, our, 
our core program is social work and our executive director for this quickly expanding NGO um, is a social worker herself. So this is really the, the quality core program that still remains the quality core program and always will. Can you dig a little deeper into what the underlying philosophy or the underpinning philosophy of Bundek is? Absolutely. So first off, um, our mission is to provide access to education, health and safety services for vulnerable children living in Thailand. Um, so so if we can just start by unpacking our mission. Um, so again, it's access to education, health and safety. And so concretely, um, helping out of school children access schools and um, education, including formal and alternative forms of education, um, access to health health services. Um, so this is everything from basic vaccinations, um, according to public standards, the whole way through emergency medical attention, and then safety services, um, especially in terms of child protection, as well as support to to women and children um, or families who are victims of domestic violence. Um, so we work in these different areas um, and our work is twofold. Um, there's really these two main spheres um, for understanding our mission and our impact. The first is direct support to children and families. So this is where our staff work with families directly. Um, so in 2018, so far this year, we've supported 1,000 Sorry, let me pull the number up in front of me. So far in 2018, we've supported 1,461 children directly um, in accessing these education centers, health services, and safety and protection services. Um, and so this is really our direct support to children and families. And this second sphere of our work is what we consider systemic impact. So most of the children who we support are living in slums and construction site camps here in Chiang Mai. And so exactly. So the construction site camps is the really interesting part because all of these communities are owned and operated by construction companies. And so we consider our systemic impact as the sector-wide improvements we are able to make throughout the Thai construction sector. So ideally helping the companies understand themselves how they can improve access to schools health services and protection services for the kids and families living in their camps really interesting and for those of us that see construction sites every day i mean there's a boom going on not just in chiang mai but in all of thailand and we can talk about that in a second right absolutely what was the original focus on the construction sites sort of just stick out like a sore thumb in a way that just made it obvious so it was sort of, it was another one of these coincidences. <laughs> um, so so Bondek, um, another very important part of our work is that we are focused on needs. We only identify needs and then develop um, forms of support um, or conduct forms of support whenever needs are identified. Um, and so we're, we're very um, rigorous, let's say, about always doing all of our, our programs, so on and so forth, supporting certain populations of children based on needs assessments. And so it was according to these needs assessments that we had conducted among several different slums back in 2012, that we started understanding that most of the slums are not just any urban slum, but they're actually construction site camps, which are private property and right. so owned and operated by these companies themselves. 
Um, and so, yeah, one of these interesting coincidences, and if I can um, repeat our, our mission statement once more, because there really is a lot to unpack here. Um, so again, um, it's to provide access to education, health and safety services for vulnerable children living in Thailand. Vulnerable children can refer to so many different populations. I was going to ask, right? So um, <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to get a definition of what a vulnerable child is. I mean, I think I can right. make up 10 of them off the top of my head, but I wanted to know what you were looking at. Right, exactly. So we have targeted children living in slums and construction site camp communities. Um, so we really target underserved communities. And then there are so many populations of, of at-risk um, children and families within these communities. So um, you know, so many different ways to categorize as well. So out-of-school children or unvaccinated children um, or um, economically disadvantaged. Um, many of them are just poor Thai families, but many of them are also migrants. Right. And many of them are de facto migrants, and so who have left the refugee camps. Many of them are stateless. Um, and then you get into all of these many more complicated um, documentation categories. Um, so, so we target children living in slums and construction site camps. And within those, a very large population of critical needs um, has emerged and that that through coincidence and circumstance has been children living in construction site camps, um, many of whom are migrants, but but not not all of whom are migrants. Many of them, some are actually also hill tribe in addition to just coming from Thai families. Yeah. So programs like this and foundations like this require capital to exist and to function, right? Who, who would you characterize would be the main supporters? And do you have help from organizations like UNICEF or other sort of international organizations? Yes, we do. Today, our funding is quite healthily divided between three main major categories. Um, the first of which is institutional partners. Um, and so most of our funding comes from other foundations um, who have selected us as um, grantees. Um, for example, UNICEF Thailand, who we've partnered with for several years now, and also Tondo Foundation. Um, and then the second main category of funding is through corporate or CSR partners. And then third are individual partners. So, individuals, um, that's, that's awesome. Do you raise money directly? Like do you have a fundraising events and stuff to raise money for individuals or do people just hear about you and then come and give donations? It's a bit of both. Um, and especially as Vandek originally started as um, sort of a smaller project or professional but smaller family foundation about 15 years ago. The, this base of individual donors is unbelievably loyal <laughs> and, and so supportive. So you, can't we've stop had these... you cannot stop caring about, you know, vulnerable children. Like one day you right, wake up and exactly. like, I don't care anymore. It's like once you start, exactly. you can't stop, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, supporting the people who you believe in to make this work possible. Certainly. So we've been very fortunate in maintaining um, a very strong base of individuals um, for quite some years now. Um, and then our funding has increasingly become institutional, especially in recent years. 
So institutional means what? From companies or or just from other foundations? You uh, said? No. You... So companies we would consider corporate um, or CSR donors. Institutional we consider the international agencies, other foundations, grant making organizations. Um, so typically government related or you know this like international agency um, that's non governmental. So the the UN system, for example, UNICEF is our major institutional partner. So how about companies that exist in the sector that you're trying to help, right? So if you're talking about vulnerable children and vulnerable families that sit on construction sites, right? Again, if you've ever been past a construction site or near where the construction sites are, they build sort of makeshift housing for the people that work there and hence for their families if their families are with them, right? And I think we need to point out as well, and you said this kind of implicitly, but I want to say it explicitly, is that This concept of migration from where the geographical location surrounding Chiang Mai, right? So Laos and also Myanmar, there's a big sort of cross-border migration that it's almost like back and forth, back and forth, right? Earn some money, go home, earn come back and earn some money and go home and also staying. There are a lot of things that are, um, what's the right word, specific to that location. But do you get support then from the companies that are actually managing those sites as well? So this is the golden question, Michael. (laughs) So we do to a certain degree today, but this is exactly the type of partnership work that we're developing through our focus on systemic impact. Um, You know, it's very tempting to just want to provide the direct support to children and families um, and see these immediate results. Um, But the, the bigger picture here. Um, as well as the view for long-term sustainability is for the private sector stakeholders to be a part of making these improvements standard. So essentially changing the dynamics, improving the dynamics of the entire construction sector in this part of the world. Um, And so today we do partner with real estate and construction companies, um, including several major companies, and um, partner means many different things. Um, Some of these are financial partnerships. Um, All all of these, all of what we consider our partners um, are somehow formalized through MOU agreements. But in many cases, um, this agreement is um, with a view where the company has expressed um, interest and intent in working with us to understand how they can make the improvements directly themselves. And I'll give you examples of that in a moment. Um, um, but this is a very full spectrum. Everyone from, first of all, from major property developers to then companies and contractors and subcontractors. Um, we partner with um, with different companies at about every level. Can you mention some of the company names? Is that okay? I mean, if they're doing good stuff, people should know about it. Yeah, right? of course. Um, our main partner is Sansory, awesome. which is a yes, a main property developer based in Bangkok who we've worked with for quite a while now. And one of their main contractors is named Visava Pat, who have also expressed strong interest in social responsibility um, and support to kids and families living in their communities. And um, Sansuri also partners with UNICEF. So there is already um, something of this base um, of companies interested in in starting and being leaders in these improvements. And so our work at, at this current phase where we are now is making this the norm sector-wide, working with our existing base to, to make this the norm um, that improves the lives of 
um, not the you know 1,461 kids who were able to support directly every year ourselves, but the tens of thousands of children living in construction site camps throughout Thailand. Right. I mean, the idea for something like the Bondek Foundation is to make itself obsolete, right? To have such a powerful systemic impact that the construction exactly. companies just say, wait a second, we know what to do. And it's not saying that they don't, exactly. right? These things take time, right? Absolutely. And they take a and change expertise. of mind, right? Expertise, Absolutely. right? Yeah. I mean, none of these issues are as obvious as they seem, even though at some level, once you shine a light on it, it does seem quite obvious. But it's important that you do this from a partnership standpoint, as opposed to um, like an opposition standpoint, right? I think it's really powerful to have companies like Sunsiri in there going, yeah, actually, we should do this. It benefits them as well. Absolutely. And um, this is a very important part of our approach. Um, we, we have made so much progress throughout years now because we have had an approach that's collaborative and proactive. Right. Um, and we have um, invested... Um, incredible um, time and resources and skills um, in forming the best partnerships possible, meaning that they're meaningful partnerships. Um, they're with partners who are committed um, and learning and interested in taking on these challenges themselves. Um, and then we're able to provide social social expertise um, because it it requires a lot of work um, to figure out referral pathways with the right public services. Um, so this is an extremely important part of our approach, um, this proactive collaboration with companies. And then another important part of our approach is partnering with existing public services. Um, and so, you know, we get asked all of the time, are you a school? Did Bandek build a school? <laughs> um, and um, no, we are not a school. Um, we partner with existing public services, and our view for sustainable impact is to strengthen these public services that already exist, to fill in gaps where needed, um, and um, oftentimes, you know, the, the side projects, many of which are still very valuable, but sometimes side projects, like if we were to build a school, this in a way would be building an alternative right, to, to existing, an existing public thing. services. Exactly. Whereas our goal is to really strengthen the services that exist already and to fill in gaps where needed. So, for example, with out of school children, um, once we've identified a large group of out of school children living in a given community, um, we can connect with the nearest public school. Um, and Thailand is very progressive in that um, Thailand has ratified education for all. So all children living in Thailand have the legal right to an education, um, meaning that they do not need all regular documentation status in order to go to school. This is just a right that they have as right. children here in Thailand. Um, and so it, um, in theory, it could be possible to connect these out-of-school children with a nearby public school. Um, but actually, they need non-formal education beforehand. Maybe not all of them speak Thai, um, especially if it's 10 or 11-year-olds who have never been to school before. Um, they, they need this type of preparation and integration before suddenly going to school at, at an older age. And so it's this type of gap that we fill um, and that we specialize in filling. But again, very important part of our approach is supporting the public services that exist already and strengthening them as well, because we understand many of the schools are also under-resourced uh, or underfunded. Um, and so we we partner collaboratively with these schools as well to help to help address gaps 
um, as they appear. Right. I mean, I like this idea. You talked about sustainability. In a way, it's kind of like an overused word. But if you start building alternative programs, right, alternative schools and alternative this and that, then it's not sustainable because as soon as you stop doing it, the help that those people are getting disappears. The idea, and I like this, is if you're a 10-year-old or 11-year-old and you've never been to school, is to get that person prepared for school. And part of it is just socializing them into what it's like to be in a structured environment. That's just the beginning. But then also reading, writing, things that they may not have been taught that we take for granted. A lot of this stuff we do take for granted, right? Absolutely. And there are other programs out there that are interesting. I'm sure you partner with some of them, but I like this idea of sustainability in the context of what this is doing. Like, What else do you think that the private sector can do besides donating money, which obviously is important, um, to sort of perpetuate this? So ideally, these types of improvements shouldn't require any money at all. <laughs> and so that's to say really the the core of, of what can be contributed is making all of these improvements in um, access to education, health and safety. I mean, these things um, should be public good, right? Um, not something that, that requires financial support in all situations. Of course, there are some material needs that, right. that should be addressed. But if we're talking about children arriving in a camp and needing to go to a school nearby, um, the expenses only really come down to maybe transportation. Um, there are some school fees and they may need school uniforms and so on and so forth. But these are the types of expenses we're talking about. Um, and so, of course, you know, as, as a foundation, we require funding in order to operate and um, offer the forms of social work that we offer. Um, but if we get down to, to the nitty gritty, let's say, of um, what we're achieving in these construction site camps, it costs next to nothing. Um, and so what should be a possible what should be possible to achieve is connecting the kids living in a camp with the nearest public school, making sure that they can regularly access the nearby medical facilities right. that are already um, there. Exactly. And then in cases of. Um, violence or forms of neglect or abuse have regular pathways to protection services that are already there also. Um, and so actually one of the, yeah, if I'm um, talking about the nitty gritty of how little this costs, um, of course, you know, placing the, putting these things into place costs next to nothing. Um, but there is, of course, skill building right. among the different community members. Um, and so Bondek provides um, this type of training for different community leaders. We have a program called the Migrant Empowerment Project where um, during the companies, um, so at the beginning of a uh, construction day when the workers are all gathered in order to get their, their like safety talk for the day ahead, um, we come and introduce this program to, let's say, two or 300 construction workers at a time. Um, and we offer them the opportunity to come to the foundation for two days of full-time training in this type of skill and like expert access to local public services for their children and families. And um, so we, we take all of these participants um, and target the community leaders, of course, bring them to the foundation, give them two days of training in these skills, um, and then send them back into the communities and do routine follow-up with them, as well as periodic refresher trainings. The impact of this program has far exceeded our wildest expectations um, in that um, we've essentially managed to replicate 
many of our own skills among so many more communities than we would be able to with our own direct staff. Of course, these community leaders graduate from our two-day training sessions as peer educators. Peer educators, they're called as, um, as in members of the community who are here to help others build up skills as well. And so we train them in how to identify vulnerable children living in their communities. So obviously just the children living in their communities and those who may not be going to school for some reason, um, or where there's um, some sort of critical safety issue, so on and so forth, um, and who exactly to contact. Um, And so it's this type of of skills training that, um, so at least in terms of of funding, um, costs something from our perspective as a foundation um, in order to arrange the training sessions, have the team um, necessary to do this in an effective manner, so on and so forth. But the beauty of this program is that there are no expenses in the future. Yeah, because I mean, you're just you're building an army of ambassadors out there. Exactly, that actually, it's that true actually can capacity put, building. Right, that can actually put not social pressure, but peer pressure, for for lack of a better term, on people that they know to actually behave in the same way. Right. So by teaching exactly. them, you're teaching others. The the network effects are actually should be pretty powerful. Exactly. You know, these are resources that are so easy to make excellent use of. Um, Just skill building within the communities and regular access to nearby services. So um, I mentioned that program. um, And if I may, another program of ours that does deal with the more complex situation. This is actually what we consider the heart of all of our projects. We call it the Individual Support Program. So the individual support program is where our team of social workers provide one-on-one assistance to children and families. And, um, and this is why I mentioned earlier, of course, that our executive director is a social worker herself. Right, right. Um, this is where you truly see transformative impact yeah. in this the life the of a child or family. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um, through our work in general, we create these pathways with local public services. We fill in gaps where needed. But then, of course, we have a lot of very critical situations of neglect, severe neglect, forms of abuse. Um, and the reality of these situations is that the family is, is facing a very complex combination of many different challenges. Um, So it's financial barriers in addition to the presence of violence or language differences. And so they're not able to access the the local public services, Um, many different challenges. And so it's through this one-on-one support with our social workers that we're able to to overcome these very complicated situations and to have truly long lasting and in-depth impact for, for the child or children in these situations. Will you expand these programs outside of Chiang Mai into cities like Bangkok and other cities in Thailand as well, where there are similar problems? Yes. As a matter of fact, we just opened our first office in Bangkok about one month ago. Where, where, where? Uh, it's in Ekamai. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's in Ekamai, very close to the BTS. Wow, transportation was a big logistic. Where? Yes. Tell me where in Ekamai. Oh, it's, um, I forget the soy, I forget the number of the soy offhand. It's just off of the Ekamai BTS. Sweet, because that's where um, I live. Ah, no way. That's why I asked. Yeah, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Incredible. Okay, we'll have to meet up there. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, so we have this new Bangkok team, um, which is really exciting um, because, as I mentioned earlier, these two spheres of our work, the first being direct impact and then the second being systemic impact. So here in Chiang Mai is where we've really designed, um, developed and, and perfected our direct impact to children and families for more than 15 years now. Um, and so we're moving into more and more systemic impact where, um, yes, we can continue providing the support um, and we will continue providing this social sector expertise, but we really need to shift into making it to, to making this as available as possible to the companies directly. And so um, companies have been asking us, construction companies have been asking us for several years now, we love what you do in Chiang Mai, but can you please come to Bangkok? Right. That's where they're based and that's where maybe of you can course. have, you can accelerate impact, yeah. Certainly. And so a very interesting part of the construction sector is that based in Bangkok, it is the, it's mainly the major property developers and real estate companies. So one of the reasons um, that conditions are as low as they are um, in so many of these camps is that the construction sector is a very fragmented sector. Yep, subcontracting and all that other stuff. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You have so many different layers. Um, you have so many different layers that um, it's mainly the real estate and property developers at the very top who are the drivers of the sector because, of course, they're the ones handling the major contracts. Um, so our our interest in partnering and working with companies is to partner and work with them at every level right. um, in order to make sure that these improvements are, are truly made at each of these different layers because that's what's required to make sure that that they're actually taking place and able to take place longer term. Um, so it's with these real estate companies that we can develop partnerships and then they can have all of their contractors commit to the to making these specific improvements. But you know, these contractors may need a lot of help in how exactly to make those improvements a reality. Um, and so this is where you see the the intersection of, of our direct support to children and families, where we've already worked with contractors and also these teeny tiny local subcontractors right. and um, for and so many years impact, yeah. now. Exactly. And you understand... Um, People here are very well intentioned. Um, just everyone really needs the the right tools in place right. in, in order to support this huge population of children. You've also recently won as a as a foundation the 2017. It's not that long ago, just last year, the MIT Solve Award. Do you want to talk about what that award is and how significant winning that prize is, or winning that award is, and just what you all did to to win it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and by the way, congratulations. That's amazing. Ah, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a really wonderful milestone for us as well as wonderful to work with them. It's really part of um, this arc we've been in for several years now of focusing more and more on systemic impact, which right. brings with it the need for scalable solutions um, and programs and tools that can be brought to scale and easily replicated. And so um, for several years now, we've had this program here in Chiang Mai called the Superheroes Academy, right. where we teach life skills in the form of superpowers to children. And so it's like the superpowers of child rights, the superpower of vaccinations, of safe migration, of protection from mosquito-borne diseases, where we teach right. them how to use mosquito nets, so on and so forth. So we've had this curriculum of 15 life skills for several years now that has proven very successful among the communities, especially among the communities where 
the children are migrating very frequently. And so more ongoing access to education is is not possible to them at that point. Um, there needs to be a, a focus on life skills so that they can eventually enroll in school throughout these different migrations. And so actually, Michael, I just explained that in a very complicated way. If we could cut that teeny tiny part. I don't no, know. it's really it's really straightforward and actually really important. Look, there's a whole host of people who don't have the not the time, but like they don't because they're moving around, right? They're migrating by, by right, definition. Right. But if you don't give them the skills that they would otherwise learn simply by being socialized, right? We talked about this at the beginning. You have right. to teach them somehow, right? So if they can't go to school or they can't go to other social institutions and they're in a, a suboptimal living situation, if you can take them out of it and give them what to them must appear like superpowers, right? In other words, you mean my brother didn't have to die because he got bit by a mosquito because we didn't know how to protect him with simple things, not, you know bug spray, but just a net, which we can definitely get access to, or that we shouldn't walk through water or stand in a stream, you know, for six hours at a time because we can get gangrene, like all these little things that they wouldn't necessarily know. It's important for them to figure it out and to tell them if there are 15 of those life skills. And, you know, some of it is just, you know, how to think critically about situations. Wait a second, this looks dangerous. The idea is not to fight it, but to retreat from whatever it is. You have to teach these things. That's, that's a very simple and straightforward um, strategy, I think. Absolutely, exactly. So there is um, a, a very real documented need for having these life skills. And of course, to make it fun and accessible for the kids, um, we've, we've created the Superheroes Academy. And so based on how impactful that program has been through just our direct in-person sessions with our teachers and social workers going directly to all of these communities, we... Um, decided that in order to make this a scalable program, could digitize the Superheroes Academy as an app that could be accessed by children who are not in the communities here in Chiang Mai, who we can access one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And so we partnered with MIT Solve, um, as in we created uh, this proposal for MIT Solve to help us scale up the Superheroes Academy by transforming it into, a, into an app, an educational app that the kids can access from low-tech smartphones. Right. And um, the Superheroes Academy can also, in this way, be made available in their own native languages. Um, as in today, it's available in Thai, Thai or Shan, Burmese, right. um, and currently being developed in Khmer. And obviously, you know, sky's the limit in how far we can continue developing out the platform. And it's been developed as both a web-based and a mobile app. So the kids can download it directly on their low-tech smartphones and access it, um, whether they're living in the community here in Chiang Mai or in Bangkok or in Phuket or somewhere in very rural Thailand where they wouldn't otherwise be able to access those skills. Right. And how do these kids find out about it? In other words, part of scalability is discoverability, right? So how do they find out about it? Absolutely. So several different phases. Phase one is us introducing the app directly to the kids who we have access to here in right. Chiang Mai. And then um, we have trained them to share it with their friends, um, especially when they migrate to other camps in the future. Um, and so we just made it available um, on the App Store about two months ago. Um, so anyone can download it. Um, and again, so it's mobile and can be used offline as well. Um, and so phase two of scale up. So yeah, phase one has been this direct introduction to the app. 
um, with the kids um, in person. Phase two is them sharing it themselves, as well as construction companies introducing this to their contractors to share with families whenever they arrive in a new right. camp. Okay, that's what I was going to say. In other words, I want to put a sign because I see, like I said, I see construction sites around me all the time. I'd love to put a sign yeah. at the front of every one of these construction sites. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right, because there's plenty of, well, it seems counterintuitive, right, for people that are migrants. They actually do have a lot of access to inexpensive mobile devices, and then they have access to the net because of that. So they can download it. The question for me is always, how do they know it's there? Discoverability. Mm -hmm. So if you can give them the ability to discover it, now you have real power. Anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So that's something we're working on through, through all of our community networks. So with the children directly, as well as these community leaders and adults who we've trained as peer educators right, and have right. now at this point migrated to many other communities throughout Thailand, as well as the construction companies themselves. I want to link to the app so that I can share it as well, if you don't mind. Yeah. So when we're done doing oh, this, please give yes, it to me and then please. we can share it. So the last thing I want to talk about is the Building Futures Report. I want to know what it is and what your teams have done to build it and support it and what it, what it really means. Of course. So earlier this year, um, it, so in March of 2018, we launched with UNICEF our publication, our co-publication um, from UNICEF and Bandak Foundation called Building Futures in Thailand, Support to Children Living in Construction Site Camps. And this was um, such an important documentation project because it was the first time, first time we've established, we've managed to have data on this population of children throughout Thailand. Um, the construction sector has been gaining more and more attention in recent years. Um, ILO in particular published an excellent report on migrant women in the construction sector about two years ago now. Um, but this is the first report that um, really focuses on children and specifically their access to education, health and safety services, what are the challenges that they are facing, and what are the existing solutions. Um, and the report concludes with a very important tool called the Chiang Mai Framework for Action, which is a framework for action that puts forth 12 key recommendations for all stakeholders to follow in order okay. to support this population of children. And so this is so important because there are many different projects taking place taking place in different areas and in different ways throughout Thailand. Um, there are different initiatives in addition to those of Bandak. Um, and so the goal of this framework for action is to study what currently takes place where, what is working best of these things, and how do we make this accessible to not only these handfuls of different communities here and there, but how do we leverage this tool for the entire construction sector at large nationwide? And so in this way, make 12 key recommendations in order to improve the well-being of all of these kids living in construction site camps throughout Thailand, not just the ones we can access directly. That's awesome. I want to get a copy of that report too, so that I, I presume it's online so that I can link to that so that yes, people, not just course. in Thailand, but over the whole world can Absolutely. see it, download it and, and read it. Look, I feel like I've taken up way too much of your time this afternoon. I really appreciate it. To say that I've learned something is maybe the understatement of the century, but I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you. Mm, pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Michael, very much.